Yes, the last time I was here, there this was full of diapers. That's what I remember. Um, my uh, my email told me that it was it's close to four years since we first came here, uh, and we've been here for a communion service. Um, we've stayed up to date with emails. Uh, and you, some of you have responded to us and told us you're praying for us, uh, and so it feels like we've known this church for a long time, and we we appreciate your continued support. We appreciate your care for us, and so we're excited to share in person um, now with two little girls um, about how things are going and how you guys can be praying for us and for um, the ministry in China. So I'm going to try this. That's the wrong direction. I don't know where. Back there. I'm not preaching on first. Yeah, that's, that's better. I don't have a sermon on First Corinthians, so I was nervous. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna show you a few pictures and talk through some of this to help you guys get in the mindset of where we're at and what we're doing. And then uh, I am going to preach uh, from Genesis four and Hebrews eleven, and we're going to uh, weave our story into the applications of that sermon and also um, think a little bit about missions at the same time. So we are in Changchun, China, uh, and yes, it can be cold. It's cold there right now. Um, I think earlier this week we checked, the high was like 8 degrees and low of negative 14 before the wind chill. <laughs> and so we are happy to be in Pennsylvania. <laughs> this is not winter. Um, Avery in the bottom corner is standing on a lake near our house, and it's completely frozen all winter. And so... Um, but uh, this is looking out from our window. It um, might be cold, but there's a lot of people there. <laughs> Any direction you look, there's lots of apartment buildings. And so um, we are there because there are people there. Uh, and it does have its beautiful moments. It can be nice. It has a nice summertime. Um, if you could zoom in, you could see our house uh, way out in the corner there. Um, and so this is what our city looks like. It's about four and a half million people. Um, and the population density is higher than almost any city in the States. Uh, so it's very different life than Waynesboro or uh, Palmyra, Anvil area where I grew up. But um, it is, we've been able to get adjusted and get used to it. And sometimes it actually is pretty beautiful. This is, uh, I go to this park in the morning sometimes uh, to pray and to listen to a sermon, and um, God's creation can be beautiful even in the middle of a huge city. <laughs> so uh, more importantly, though, we got to eat a lot of food. We know people are always interested in what we eat. Uh, on, on this side is a, a meal that um, friends' parents made for us in a small village. So this was all made on um, a big wok that was heated uh, with wood and and dried corn stalks. She made a fire underneath of it and made all of these dishes one at a time for us. There's uh, pork ribs in there and wood ear mushrooms. And then there's like a, there's potatoes. There's, you guys would actually enjoy it. Northeast Chinese food is not that different um, as far as the actual content. There's definitely weird things, so <laughs> don't get me wrong. But um, there's definitely things that you could get used to. They have a dish that's very similar to pork and sauerkraut. So. Uh, you can get used to it. And then beef noodle soup is on the other side. So um, just to give you 
something visually to think about what we're, we're doing. Um, Avery made friends wherever she went. This is a Sunday school class on one side um, at the one church uh, in, our, in our little network, um, playing with our neighbor and the kids that she, uh, her stroller gang that she goes out with uh, during the summertime. So Avery was great. Uh, she made lots of friends, adjusted very easily. Um, she's, she's doing well. I was really happy that she joined the children's uh, church. And hopefully she doesn't come back screaming, but she's, she's doing well. I shared that. If you follow our updates, one of the things I asked you to pray for was for our daughter's adjustment as they were coming back home. And I um, appreciate you praying for that. And it seems that God is answering that prayer. And we also added to our family while we were there. Um, and so this is, our life has changed completely. Um, I had a friend who lives in Japan, and he said, between moving to another country, getting married, and having kids, the three big transitions in his life, having kids was the hardest one. Uh, and so if you have had kids, if you've gone through that stage of young children, you've done something harder than what missionaries do. <laughs> um, and I, I agree with him now. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, what we've been doing, first of all, is um, we connected with a group of Chinese pastors, Chinese church planners. Uh, on the upper right-hand side is 10 or so of them. They're all between 25 and 35, and they're planting churches mainly in the city north of us. Um, Andy is in there. Uh, I'm not sure where. In the back, I think. he's. You can barely see him. Uh, and he has... Um, moved down from that city to join us and help us plant a church in Changchun. And the other pictures are from some of the services that we got to attend and get um, a feel for what the church in China looks like. Uh, so the bottom one, the smaller picture, that church is a big church in China at 40 people. And so small, normal house churches are uh, 5 to 20 people. And um, the government churches can be 5,000 people. Uh, but the, the house churches are generally fairly small. Um, and we've got to build relationships with a lot of those pastors. One of the things that I've enjoyed doing is actually um, talking with them and trying to understand what their struggles are, what the particular challenges are, and encouraging them. Because I'm, not, um, I'm a peer to them, I am uh, safe in some ways for them to share things with. And so we've had a lot of good conversations and encouraging them. Um, Pastoring is not always easy. Church planning is not uh, easy. It's not always fun work. And so um, we've had opportunities to encourage them and try to uh, counsel them through some different circumstances. And I've enjoyed that part of our work a lot. Um, this is Levi and his wife, Alice. So you can pray for them as well. They just had another baby um, named... At what? Aslan? Like from Narnia. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, over the past, the first year was mainly language learning. And uh, over the past year, we started doing more outreach. This was um, not this past Christmas, but before we had a, it was the first big event we held in our house and started to get to know some people. Um, over the course of the two years we were there, we met a few hundred people and had good conversations, spiritual conversations with um, probably uh, a few dozen of them. Um, 
and probably we think around 50 people have come through our studies or we've had um, personal Bible studies with them. And of those, about um, there's, there's four Christians and a four or five um, non-Christians who are still uh, learning and open to learning and who are attending our Bible studies. So that's, that's kind of uh, from big picture <laughs> down to the few that we are working with. That's what we've been doing over the past 15 months um, Sarah is still studying Chinese full-time when she's not uh, nursing a baby full-time. <laughs> and so now we've, we've uh, started to transition back to Sarah um, studying a little bit. As we go back, um, those, are, those are more pictures of our Bible studies. As we go back, one thing that you can pray for us is that we are looking for a more stable visa. Um, there's lots of opportunities for visas in China. Uh, but not all of them are conducive to having ministry. And so uh, we have an opportunity right now, and Sarah has um, an opportunity to possibly teach part-time at a school uh, that would uh, give me a visa as well and give our whole family visas. And so be praying for that. She has another interview um, after Chinese New Year. She's going to have an interview over Skype. So be praying for that opportunity and for God to give us wisdom because it would change our life a lot of how we um, use our time, how we think about where our priorities are. Um, this was a few months ago. Things have started to... Um, <laughs> someone said that house church sounds like a lot of fun until it's in your house. And <laughs> I've started to understand that more um, because our house is getting full some weeks and uh, we sit around our table and put some snacks out there and tea, and we talk about the Bible, we pray, and we sing, uh, we try to sing <laughs> um, one song. And so that's kind of the pattern right now. Um, I haven't heard an update from Andy uh, from this morning's service, but uh, I think he's been doing a great job. Um, this is Andy here on the right, and then... Uh, on the other side are two interns that came and joined us this past um, summer. And so one from Martinsburg Grace Brethren Church. Um, and so if you know anybody or you're um, personally interested uh, in coming to China, talk to me about that because there would be potentially opportunities to come visit us and, and help us uh, do evangelism. So... Um, Looking forward, we're going to be in the States for four months. We're traveling and visiting our supporters. We're doing more studies, um, trying to catch our breath a little bit. And then we're heading back, um, hoping to get that visa situation worked out over the summer and working with Andy to try to figure out um, how do we continue proclaiming the gospel in a situation where um, the room for us to do gospel ministry in China is constantly decreasing. There's more pressure, and it's not just on religion. There's more pressure in Chinese society in general to fit into the boxes that the government says you're allowed to fit into. <laughs> and so uh, we are trying to uh, determine where God would have us with that. Um, one decision that we, um, two, two things that are particular on our mind is in that uh, in the atmosphere that we're in, how do we develop new leaders and how do we um, expand? Should we go to more house churches or should we try to um, rent a place um, and meet as a bigger group? And so those are two questions that we are going to be thinking about and praying about and you can continue praying for us. Um, 
this picture, I just like this picture. I want to brag about it. <laughs> um, I took this. Uh, it's Lake Erie, and um, the sun was rising as we were flying home just the other week. So uh, this is, uh, I was feeling, it's crossing the, the border back into the States and took the picture. So we are home here for another four months, and then we will be um, back in China. Um, we, I say home, but um, having gone somewhere else, if, if any of you have moved somewhere, you, you understand that home becomes a little bit of a difficult category to define <laughs> because um, you have relationships and you have memories in this other place, and now you have new relationships and you have new roots being planted here. And so we are uh, constantly experiencing that difference of having two different homes. When we get back in the end of April, we are going to be reminded that we don't fit in in China. Um, I've tried my hardest <laughs> to look Chinese, and I have not made any progress. <laughs> and so I can't, I can't pretend that I fit in in China. Um, but uh, I think that the experience of being away from home like that has helped me understand some themes in Scripture helps me understand particularly the idea of what it means to live um, as an exile, as a stranger in this world. And so I want to share some things that I feel like um, have been particularly meaningful to me um, and hopefully will be encouraging and challenging to you. So turn with me, uh, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to start looking at this theme from the story of Cain and Abel, particularly Cain's response um, after, uh, after his sin, after he murdered his brother. So, um, before we read, uh, I want to pray again uh, briefly, and then we'll get into it. Um, Father in heaven, I feel weak and inadequate to... Um, bring your word this morning. I ask that you would um, work through my weakness to show that you are strong, that um, you would work through your word, through your spirit, to speak to my heart, to speak to the hearts of the people here, to say what you would have um, them to hear. Lord, I ask that you would uh, continue to stir up our hearts, that we would be passionate about the glory of your name, and that we would be Uh, open to whatever you would have us do. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. So, um, Genesis chapter 4, if you have been in church, you know the story, um, at least somewhat. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's sons, and there's a conflict between them. Um, Cain is jealous because of uh, his, Abel's, his brother's sacrifice is accepted and his is not. And so God warns him about the danger of this jealousy and where the sin might lead. And Cain does not listen to the warning. And he um, he acts out of this jealousy and anger. And he murders his brother. God again speaks to him and tells him what the consequence of this sin would be. And so we're going to pick up in verse... um, We're going to pick up in verse 13. Wrong way. um, And read to verse 17. And see how, what the consequence of Cain's sin is and how he responds to it. Um, so first, 
Uh, let's look at verse 13 to 17. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face shall I be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he, named, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Okay, so what's going on here? Um, the story of Christianity, the story of the hum- human race, starts in Eden. And Eden was a place where we were at home in every single way. Um, you could look at how it's described and see that Adam and Eve had um, not only a place that was physically designed for their flourishing, but it was also, um, they had a relationship. They were spiritually at home because they were with God. They had work. They had meaningful work that they felt like they were well suited for. Um, I I think among the the guys I know my age, um, not many of them feel like they have work that is well suited to who they are to their interests and abilities, and is meaningful. And so uh, we, can't, um, we can't leave out, we can't make um, how Eden was a home for Adam and Eve into just one small slice of their life as if they were just spiritually at home. Every single part of them was at home in Eden. Um, and because of their sin, they had to leave. Um, sin always leads to separation, and grace unites. And so this separation um, is a result of their sin. And now we see in the next generation the same pattern happening. And so we see, um, I picked this passage instead of um, them lead, leaving Eden because I didn't want, <laughs> sometimes people get the idea that all of the brokenness in the world is just a result of Adam and Eve. And that means I'm just a victim of other people's sin. But here we see Cain, his own sin leads to the same pattern happening again. Uh, And so we can pull apart what are the different pieces um, uh, of his life that experience this breakdown, this separation. And so he says, um, I'm driven away from the ground. So that's talking about his vocation, that he doesn't have the meaningful work that he's well-suited for anymore. He says, um, and from your face I am hidden. So there's a separation with God, that that most important breakdown of the relationship between man and God. So there's spiritual separation. He says, I'm going to be a fugitive. A fugitive is someone who is running. He's running away from something, not running towards something, but he's running away, usually the consequences of his own sin. And so he has to geographically leave his home. And there's a psychological problem that um, he does not feel safe because he's running from the consequences of his sin. He becomes a wanderer. A wanderer is someone who's not just, he's not running from someone, something, but has no particular stable, permanent home. Um, who is drifting from place to place. 
And so um, he is also, uh, he is away geographically, he's away from his family, he's away from the face of God, and he's away from the place where he can have meaningful work. And lastly, he says, whoever finds me will kill me. And so he's acknowledging there is a social breakdown. <laughs> um, because I murdered someone, people might not trust me. <laughs> and that is, that is a natural consequence of our sin. Um, and so uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on here. I want to move on to his reaction. But I wanna, want us to acknowledge that um, sin and death make each one of us fugitives and wanderers. We are fugitives because we sin and we're running away from the consequence of that unless we find rest in the blood of Christ. We are wanderers because of death. Because it doesn't matter how long you live in one particular place here on earth, um, death makes it all temporary. We don't have a permanent place here on this earth. And so fugitive and wanderer uh, is a fitting description of the human experience. Um, but I want to move on now to how he responds. Um, it says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he, named, he called the name of the city after his son. So what is he doing? Why is that particular piece included in this story? So he's been told he's not going to have a permanent home, and he says, I'm going to go build a city. He's been said, you have to leave your family. You don't have a, a place in society that fits you. And then he says, I'm going to start a new family. Um, and he says, you're away from the face of God, where he gets to participate in and reflect the glory of God. And he says, I'm going to name this city after my son so that there's a legacy. There's something that I can make for my own name's sake. And we see that pattern continue to Genesis 11 where they build, um, it's not 11, 10, where they build the Tower of Babel. Is it 11? Okay, I was right. Um, and the people are working to build a name, for, uh, build something for their own name's sake. And so... Um, he is trying to build a new home for himself. Um, so I want to look now. Um, this is one of two possible responses to the human condition. So if, if we are fugitives and wanderers, one possible response is to do what Cain did and say, I want to build my home here on earth. And the other possible response we'll look at in a bit is more, um, what Hebrews 11 talks about, saying, I don't have a home here. I'm a stranger here, but I'm looking forward in faith to my true home. I'm looking forward in faith to being with God. And so um, these are, this is the choice that we have. And just like our sin affects every single aspect of our life, um, this choice is played out in every single aspect of our life. So... Um, I want to think about <laughs> I, I want to think about this a little bit. I can imagine Cain and his wife having this conversation, feeling, I just feel so anxious. Um, I just don't feel like I'm at home here. So what can we do? And Cain saying, you know, I remember my mom used to say, Adam, honey, you know, it was so comfortable in Eden. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we try to make somewhere that, like, 
was similar to what our parents had bef- when they were still in Eden. So they go back to the Garden of Eden and they're peering over the walls. They're trying to like look around the angel with the flashing sword. What did it look like in there? What did, the, what did they have? And they go over here and say, okay, let's make our city. So they had comfort. Let's make a, a comfortable home for us here. Uh, we, can, we can make these houses that are just perfectly suited for us and we can have things called sofas and put a box on the wall with Netflix and we'll just sit there and be comfortable. <laughs> and, and they, you know, it, my parents used to say that in, Eden, they just felt so safe, like nothing could ever get to them. So why don't we build walls around our city so that, so that we can feel safe, no one can get to us. And they said, they had perfect community between them, so why don't we p- make a place like a city where we can bring people together and have community. And they said, well, we, they also had work to do. Well, what is a city? A city is also a place of economic activity. And so... Uh, Cain is, is trying to recreate Eden here on earth, but outside of Eden, and most importantly, without the presence of God. So he's trying to deal with a spiritual problem. The fundamental problem is that he's away from the face of God, and he's trying to deal with this spiritual problem with material solutions. It's a, you could say it's a heavenly problem, and he's using earthly solutions. Um, it doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how nice the house is. Um, buying a new house, refurbishing a house, or in what other, whatever way we make our home here will not solve our problem with God. Um, and we, like I said, we do this in a lot of different ways. We can do it with relationships. We can do it with careers. We can do it with our physical comfort um, we can do it with our actual physical home. Um, you know, in, in China today, if I ask you, if I take a poll right now, that what is the, the biggest obstacle to evangelism in China? Uh, what are your guesses? The government, right. That is the perception that we have as American Christians, that the government is the biggest obstacle. Uh, and I don't want to downplay that. Um, it is an obstacle, and we do have opportunities here in America um, that help the church flourish and be healthy because of, of the freedom we have. But pastors in China are not as worried about the government as they are about materialism. It's not communism, but materialism that they're worried about. Uh, they would say more people lose their faith in shopping malls than in police stations um, because the, the desire for comfort um, is at odds with faith in Christ. If I say my hope is found in a comfortable, secure life, um, I am undermining my soul's ability to have faith in Christ. You know, in the previous generation in China, uh, like in the 1950s or 60s, the average lifespan, average life expectancy in China was under 45 years old. And so we regularly meet people whose uh, brothers or uncles or aunts starved in the 1960s. It's not that long ago. And among that generation and their kids, the Christian claim that our home is not here on earth. We are meant to be with God. And this earth, this world is broken, but it will one day be remade. That idea 
made a lot of sense. Because <laughs> if you lived in China at that time, it was easy to say, my home isn't here. It doesn't feel like home in any way. But now, as China has gotten more wealthy, as there's more opportunities, it's harder for people to believe that. They have to make a choice between um, more financial opportunities or following Christ. And that, that pull for finding my security in wealth and what wealth can buy is very strong. But it, it's not just in China that that's an obstacle. Um, when I was in college uh, or even in high school, a lot of my friends were very interested in missions. And they were committed, they were passionate, we're going to go to the ends of the earth, we're going to be missionaries. I had one friend who said, the world has enough engineers, I'm going to go be a missionary. <laughs> so he's going to give up his, his engineering degree and go to Japan. But now um, I'm three weeks away from being 30, and uh, most of my friends are not uh, serving God. Um, not just that they're not on the mission field, that they're not in ministry, but even when they are in local churches, they're not engaged in serving God. And from my perspective, the thing that has gotten in their way over and over and over again is that the bottom line that made their big decisions in life is what is going to make me the most secure and most comfortable and most uh, safe. And so the unwillingness to take any risk has pulled them away from Christian service. And I think that is the, um, <coughs> look, in, in the churches that we come from, missions is talked about a lot. It's not a, it's not a problem if people don't know about the need or know about the command to go or know about the, um, the content of the gospel. Um, it's not that we have to be challenged to go. <laughs> it's, um, there are things getting in our way. And so uh, that is not, I want to take it a, another step um, and say it's not just about going to the mission field, but any time that you want to uh, serve someone, any time you want to do ministry in any capacity, um, you're going to have to love, you're going to have to sacrificially love sinful people. And that is difficult. It can be uncomfortable. Um, sinners are, uh, they can be rude, they can be spiteful, they can push you away. Um, and, and I know because I am a sinner, and I get to see what my wife has to do <laughs> to love me. Um, but, but we come with the grace, we come with the hope that Christ brings, we come with the truth of Scripture, but it's costly, it's risky to come into people's lives and do that. Uh, and so if you, if you and I are thinking about our lives primarily in what is going to make me the most comfortable, we're going to pass up opportunities that God is bringing to us to love people that are right in front of us. Um, and so the desire to make our home here on earth um, undercuts what it, God is doing in our lives. Um, and leaving Pennsylvania and going to China did not uh, make that <laughs> cease to be a problem for us. Over and over again, uh, we were putting all of our emotional hope, all of our attention, all of our energy into trying to make ourselves comfortable. Uh, going to the mission field is like you have a bum knee and you're on crutches and someone rips the crutches away. And before you felt like I could walk <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like limping and you're looking around saying I need something stable. I'm, I need something to hold on to. And Sarah and I found that we were, uh, especially the first year, 
We're trying to hold on to making our apartment, making our physical home more comfortable, making it feel like home. But color-coordinated pillow cushions or a new toilet and sink cannot solve the spiritual longing <laughs> that we have in our, ho- our, our homes, our, our souls. And so, um, you know, th- there's a deeper problem. And uh, we were made as humans to behold the glory of God and be satisfied by him. Um, and the material things around us cannot sustain the weight of our worship. The relationships we have cannot sustain the weight of our worship. Um, and so we, we need to turn from trying to make our home here on earth. Um, you know, one of the hardest moments for us in China was having a conversation with Jillian, um, which if you've been getting her updates, you might have heard about her or prayed for her. And she's from a poor village, um, and uh, I was telling her she does not need to live for academic success. She does not need to live for her financial future. We're having this conversation, and she says, I hear what you're saying, but it's hard for me to believe it because it doesn't look like that's what you do. From her perspective... Uh, our comfortable lifestyle made it harder for her to hear and believe the gospel. And people will make a direct connection between how we are living and the truthfulness of the gospel. It is not a, um, this is not a side matter. Um, This is not detached from the rest of the Christian life. Um, It is part of our witness. And so, um, in God's grace, that led to a really good conversation, but that uh, has stuck with me, and it's going to stay with me for a long time. Um, so let's, let's move on. I think we've talked about the wrong re- approach of trying to build a city, trying to protect ourselves, trying to be comfortable here on earth. So what is the, the right approach? Um, let's read these verses in Hebrews 11, and then uh, dig into it a little bit more. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as as it is, They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Um, So this is in this famous hall of faith passage in Hebrews 11. And he's describing Abraham, um, mostly Abraham, but also Moses and the the others that he's talked about. And he says that um, they lived... Um, with faith in what God has promised. So they saw clearly with eyes of faith what was unseen. And they lived their entire lives that way. All the way to their final moments, they were looking to something in faith. And they said, he says that they acknowledged, in order to do that, they had to admit, they had to recognize that they were strangers here on earth. And he says, okay, if you use a word like stranger or exile, you mean that you, you are not home here. If you use those words, 
you are acknowledging, you make it clear, you're seeking a home. And then he makes a contrast. And this is what we were talking about. You can either try to find that home in returning to where you came from, or you can look for a better country. And so the way forward begins with having eyes of faith that look forward and see what God has promised to us is better than what we have here on earth. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of ways that, um, a lot of different directions we could go from here. But I want to, um, I want to think a little bit about where the writers of the New Testament use this idea, how do they apply it? When they think about being strangers and exiles, what direction does it go? Um, before we get to the New Testament, one thing very briefly is, um, if you read the Psalms, you will see over and over again uh, the, the writers using words like refuge or hiding place. And it's the same idea, saying, uh, I don't feel safe here. I don't feel at home here. People are throwing spears at me. I am not <laughs> accepted. And so I am going to find my refuge uh, in God. And so the first thing is that we should visit our true home through prayer that we should regularly go to our true home, which is spending time with God. Um, heaven can be described as where God is. Earth is where we are, where humans are. Heaven is where God is. That's the most important uh, part of the definition. And so we visit our true home by finding our refuge, by praying, by spending time with our God and Father with Jesus Christ in prayer. Um, let's move on and see how this is applied. In the very next chapter, this idea comes up again and says, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he has endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. This letter, uh, the, this epistle of the Hebrews was sent to Christians who were being persecuted. And their temptation was to, to pull back from Christian community, was to pull back from acknowledging that they are Christian, that they are one of Christ's children. And he says... Um, being a Christian is going to necessarily include bearing reproach, of being ridiculed, of being misunderstood. Like if, you, if you make decisions uh, that are try you're trying to make your home here on earth, those decisions will make sense to the people around you. That's the air we breathe in our culture. And in China, it's the same, that um, people view their life as, how can I make my life Make a life for myself here and now, whether it's through um, making a name for myself in my career or building a family or making a comfortable home or just enjoying the pleasures of life. That is the air we breathe. And if you live that way, you will not be ridiculed, not the same way that Christians will because we are, we are turning our back to that and we're making decisions that don't make any sense to the people around us. You know, um, I just thought of that thought of this. Uh, the pastor at Palmyra Grace, uh, my home church, is in the process to adopt a young child from China, just as 
uh, Timothy and Carrie did. Uh, two times while we were in China, we had conversations with people who um, were amazed that Americans were coming over to adopt little kids from China because it's so far out of their mindset. Why would you spend money on this kid who's not your own? Why would you love this kid who um, is in a rough situation or who needs medical help? And they were just astounded by it. They were, they were flabbergasted that anyone would think that way. And so um, you can see the, the way we make decisions, if we think our home is here or if we think our home is with God, is going to be very different. And people do not understand the decisions Christians make. And in China today, um, there are, um, one of the challenges the church has is that it's very difficult to live out your faith in the public square. And so uh, pray for the church in China that they would be able to equip people to have a witness in their jobs, in their communities, um, in their families, because um, you will necessarily need to bear reproach, that you will need to be misunderstood and ridiculed if you live out your Christian convictions. The second half of this is that it says, do not neglect to do good, to share what you have. So one mistake we can make is to think that if my home is with God, then I shouldn't care about this world at all. And we see the writer of the Hebrews has exactly the opposite logic. He says, since our hope, since our inheritance is not here, it's somewhere else, the material resources, the time we have, um, the energy, the emotional capacity we have can be spent, can be sacrificed in caring for people and making um, making other people's lives better, um, primarily through the gospel. But he's saying we, we don't stop doing good for other people just because we are strangers and exiles. Um, and that goes along with this, the next one I want to point out, which is uh, we read this in Sunday school. We read the first part of this passage um, in Sunday school this morning where it says, uh, God has made us a people. He's called us out of darkness into his um, marvelous light that we can proclaim the excellencies uh, of God. And so he goes on after that. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So a fourth application of this is to say the largest, um, the strongest temptation that many of us will feel to make our home here on earth is to live for the pleasures of life is to give ourselves to the passions of the flesh. And he's saying, it, that is dangerous. It's, physic, it's not physically, uh, it's not just physically dangerous, but it is dangerous for your soul um, to live for that way because you are turning away from faith in God and back towards making your home here on earth. Um, but just as this passage started, uh, I don't have the verse up there, but it started by saying, we were made a people so that we can proclaim God's excellencies he continues by saying that this lifestyle, this abandoning hope of putting our, hope, uh, putting our home here on earth is actually part of our witness, that people will see our conduct and they will recognize that God is at work. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move on because I don't, I don't have enough time, but... Um, 
this is what missions is, that we are, we are heading home with people, we're heading to, towards our true home, and we are inviting people to, uh, to enter into the, the joy of um, seeing Christ and understanding him and, and knowing him and trusting him. Um, I want to tell just uh, one story, and then we're going to look at very briefly at where the motivation comes to live this way. Um, one of our fellow pastors um, came to our house, and his sister lived in, his, in our city, and so she came, and both of them were sitting at our table, and every week at our church, we have someone share a testimony, and since he was coming from outside, we had him share his testimony, and he shared how he grew up in a very broken home. Um, his dad, his mom and dad were separated, and his dad was running uh, a brothel out of a restaurant, and he was living in that restaurant. And so from the time he was three or five until he was 11, um, he saw things that he should not have seen and uh, was, I mean, um, scarred in ways that still affect him today. And he said when he got to college and he met Christians for the first time, he said up until that point when he was 19, he did not know what the word joy meant. He had never experienced joy in his whole life. And over the course of um, 11 days, he read John 1 through John 11, and he said he experienced joy for the first time. And he shared this while his sister was sitting right next to him. And he's been sharing the gospel with her for 11 years since, um, since he read the gospel of John. And at the end, she, she said, um, I'm still that person at uh, 34 that has never experienced joy. I don't know what joy means. And so um, our opportunity as missionaries is to invite people into the joy that Christ brings. Um, outside the church, missions has a really terrible name. People think missions is... Uh, is imperialistic and it's imposing your views on other people. Uh, inside the church, missions means a million different things. Um, but we've moved away from the simple necessity of um, proclaiming the gospel and calling people to faith uh, and repentance. And that message is what brings people joy. <laughs> that is where joy is found. Um, and so... Very quickly, how do we find our motivation to live this way? Um, if we're honest, w often our lives look more like Cain's did than um, Abraham or those other heroes of faith. Often we're trying to build our home here. So how do we find our motivation? And it's obviously in looking to Christ. Um, if we say the Christian life is walking a journey home, we realize that Christ first walked that journey in the other direction that he walked all the way to us. And that's what Christmas, that's what the incarnation is, that he left his home to come to us. Um, he had a permanent home. He had a safe place. He had um, work that was meaningful. He created the universe. He was well-suited for that task. And he left and became a human, experienced the suffering that we experienced. And uh, unlike the rest of us, unlike Cain, all of the suffering he experienced was not a result of his own actions. 
We all experience suffering. We all experience brokenness, somewhat because of other people and somewhat because of ourselves. But Christ was the only person who deserved none of that. He deserved no brokenness or separation, however you want to define it. And yet, on the cross, uh, he was um, excluded. He was uh, sent away. He experienced suffering to an extent that we can't imagine. And for a moment on the cross, he was in some way, away from the face of God so that we can be brought back in. Um, It says in the Hebrews 11 passage that God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a place for them. And it is on the cross that Jesus has prepared a place for us, that through his sacrifice, he has taken care of, he has taken away the thing that separates us from God so that we can be back and live in the presence of God again. And so um, it is looking at Christ, looking at what he has done, seeing that it's not just an example, but that actually he has done something for us that is, that is prepared a place for us that, as First Peter says, is um, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We have a sure uh, inheritance in heaven that cannot be taken away um, because of what Christ has done. And when we begin to understand that, we let the gospel come into our hearts, begin to melt our hearts, we will have the courage, we'll have the faith to turn from putting our hope in this world and living for our true home. Um, I, I hope that this is uh, encouraging for you, I hope it's challenging for you. Um, we don't feel like we are doing this perfectly. <laughs> we don't feel like we came home from China saying, like, we're doing it, guys. We, we're just crushing it in China. Um, all of these temptations are still temptations for us. And so continue to pray for us. Um, continue to uh, think of the people we're working with, especially Andy, um, and, and pray that we will have the faith and courage to do those things as well. So as, um, as I finish, I'm going to uh, pray real briefly. And um, if you guys want, we'll be around to chat for a little bit afterwards. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for the work that you did. Um, thank you for doing what we could not do in um, living a life perfectly, of never putting your hope in Um, making a name for yourself, or never putting a hope in um, temporal comforts here on earth. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith, give us eyes to see that we could, um, that we can uh, live lives that don't make sense to the people around us, that we can have the courage to be ridiculed, to be misunderstood, to be, um, uh, to be in a way not belonging here on earth. We ask, Father, that you would um, work in this church and work in our hearts uh, to continue to show your glory through our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.